0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the pilot podcast of the Climate Justice League. Hosted by the Frontline Organizing Program at Mothers Out Front. I am your host. I am Marnie's Jackson, and I am the Frontline Organizing Program Manager. And later in our show, I will introduce you to the four organizers at Mothers Out Front, who does climate justice organizing. Before I started this role in December 2018, I was at the NAACP Environmental and Climate Justice Program, where I built capacity within the NAACP members to engage in energy-related projects across 17 states and created the ECJ Live podcast talk show and before that, I was the weatherization coordinator for Oakland Livingston Human Service Agency. And I took a position as the energy outreach specialist for the Southeast Michigan Regional Energy Office. And before that, I did a huge amount of organizing in my undergrad experience at Eastern Michigan University. But I honed my skills as a grassroots organizer when I was in graduate school and I took a graduate internship with the East Michigan Environmental Action Council, where I traveled to New Orleans, Louisiana for the 10th anniversary commemoration of Hurricane Katrina. During this time, I met climate justice activists all around the world where we strategized and organized on what to do after Hurricane Katrina. And so now I am here at Mothers Out Front and we have this awesome new frontline organizing program that was created last year to address the impacts of climate change on disproportionately impacted communities which are communities of color and low income individuals. And so Mothers Out Front is changing and leading and organizing and and being intentional about diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. And so the frontline program is the vehicle to do that. And so we have four awesome superstars who are working in four different locations. They are the climate justice organizers. You will hear what inspires them. Why are they in this movement? In New York, you have Lindsey Cooper who currently is organizing in a community called Red Hook, which is inside Brooklyn. Um, You have a whole bunch of environmental impacts, especially utility and energy injustices due to their utility company. Next, I would like to introduce you to Stephanie Bowman. She lives in Colorado Springs, Colorado, originally from Kansas City, Kansas. She is married. She is organizing in both Colorado Springs and Pueblo, where you have coal plants that should be retiring, but they're not just yet, and Pueblo, where they endure the highest utility rates in the United States. Next, I would like to introduce you to Letitia Harris. She's in Fresno, California. She has three children and they are plagued by polluting facilities, gas extraction, and they have one of the highest polluted zip codes in the state of California and across the United States. And then Desiree Shelley Flores, who has two beautiful children and a beautiful husband who lives in the River Valley near Blacksburg and Roanoke, all in the same vicinity. And she is organizing mothers to take on the Mountain Valley Pipeline and other sustainability projects. You will now hear from all the four climate justice organizers. Good afternoon, Lindsey. Hi, Moniece, how are you doing? I'm really good, in yourself? I'm good. So tell me, about how you got into this climate movement. What brought you here? Yeah, sure. So I think I was brought to the climate
1: movement out of necessity. So I have a lot of passions, but I'm especially passionate about the environment, and I have been since I was a kid. Um, So throughout college, I did a lot of internships that were related to the environment and related to social justice as well. So I from those internships have learned a lot about climate change and what people can do about it. So I think I, at a certain point, just felt like I really needed to get involved. And I did start organizing while I was in college. Um, And I, that's how I got brought here to Mothers Out Front. I think, especially since I studied sociology in school, it helped me think really critically about the state of the environment and what has caused us to be in this crisis of a state so um, yeah when I started doing research I just realized that I needed to get involved.
0: Wow that's good to hear so you're part of the frontline organizing team so could you tell me what does a frontline community look like to you and how should we organize frontline communities? Yeah, sure. So to me, a frontline community is
1: one that has vulnerability. So I think it can be geographical vulnerability, um, economic vulnerability, or vulnerability in resources. But it's a community that in the case of natural disasters, which are happening more often and more intensely from climate change, frontline communities are the ones that will have fewer resources that will help them recover. So um, I consider especially the geographic vulnerability of the community. For example, I work here in Brooklyn in Red Hook, which is right on the water and is very vulnerable, especially um, during Hurricane Sandy. And there is a lot of vulnerability geographically there. So I think frontline can mean a lot of things, but to me it's a combination of geographic, economic, and social vulnerability
0: what would you do or tell um, frontline communities that are impacted to stay engaged and inspired to keep pushing on when things are like this are happening in their communities?
1: So staying inspired is definitely a struggle um, for a lot of people, myself included. And I think what's helped me has been a combination of things. So first what's helped me is self-care and making sure that I am um, taking care of myself and not spreading myself too thin when it comes to doing work that's really taxing at times. So taking care of myself is definitely necessary. And then where I get my inspiration is from um, looking around me at the people who are working in communities that I work in, the people who live in my community and who are just actually doing things. I think when you look at the, the national level or the global level and see the state of the climate crisis and see how decision makers are reacting and making, in a lot of cases, really poor decisions To in, in the grand scheme of helping us move towards renewable energy and move towards a livable climate, um, I think it can be really overwhelming and really disheartening to look at the national level at times. So, What helps me is looking at my local level and focusing on the people around me who are doing amazing work and across New York City and across New York State, the people who are regularly just normal people who are taking action. It really inspires me. And it's, yeah, I think it's necessary to focus on that sometimes just so you don't get too overwhelmed and start feeling like there's nothing you can do because i think that's something that stops people from getting involved in the first place is just feeling like i'm one person and i have like no power and i don't know what to do so i'm just not going to get involved but i think just organizing in your community is a really great place to start and in organizing you can gain a
0: lot of power thank you so much lindsay for that How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing, Marnie? So everything's real well here in Michigan. So I wanted to talk to you about the frontline organizing program with Mothers Out Front. What excites you and what brings you to this climate justice movement? Um, well, I would say what initially brought me to
2: the climate justice movement was food justice. I was born and raised in Kansas City, Kansas. And um, there was a time where our only good grocery store was Picky Wiggly. (laughs) And after they got rid of it, Mm -hmm. our nearest grocery store was in Kansas City, Missouri, which was the next state. Mm -hmm. Um, So I lived in the food desert. And so my mother and I created a neighborhood garden. And the next thing you know, I was spending my summers delivering fresh tomatoes and okra to elderly in the community who didn't have transportation to go to Missouri (laughs) to get fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, food justice morphed into energy justice when our utility bills start getting crazy high for using water to water our vegetables for the community garden. So then I started doing work around our um, public utility there and collecting bills to make sure they weren't intentionally targeting communities of color Mm -hmm. to force them out for gentrification. And now here I am in the climate movement. So it's definitely metamorphosized.
0: Wow. So yeah, tell me more about your family. Do you come from like a background of um, movement building, social justice work? Like, tell me about my family. Do you have any kids? Are you married? Tell me about your parents. Um, So I would say my grandmother and my mother
2: both are or were or are activists Mm -hmm. and revolutionaries. Um, My grandma was one of the first black business owners in Kansas City as far as a woman. Um, owning her own business, and my mother, as well, was a black train dispatcher. Um, It has been very difficult being raised in a household with activists because at a young age, I had a social obligation and responsibility to do this work. Wow. (laughs) Like, I felt a much bigger burden on my shoulder than the average 11-year-old because... I'm spending my weekends sitting in rooms full of angry women fussing about unjust health practices, um, in child care centers. So for me, it's just a very unique perspective. But here in Colorado Springs now, I recently moved my mother and my grandmother from Kansas onto Colorado, and so we have a multi-generational household, and um, it's very challenging and wonderful at the same time.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. So. So when we talk about frontline communities, because you are part of the frontline organizing team at Mothers Out Front, and you're doing organizing um, in Colorado Springs and Pueblo, could you tell me what does a frontline community look like Hmm. to you? Or could you define what frontline communities are?
2: So I would say what a frontline community looks like
0: to me is a
2: community that's been overlooked and disregarded Mm -hmm. of life, is viewed much less and compared to Mm -hmm. communities that aren't frontline. I was always raised in frontline community. Mm I mean, having been in the Military as a military spouse being moved around, we were always in frontline communities. Because usually they're in the outskirts of towns, in rural areas, outside of industrial districts. Um, so for me, frontline communities have really been all that I've ever known. Like I kind of don't know what a front community, frontline community doesn't look
0: like. Hey, Letitia, how you doing?
3: I am doing well. How are you?
0: I'm really good. I'm really good. Great. So today I wanted to talk to you about um, your involvement with Mothers Out Front and tell me more about where you live, what brought you to this climate movement. Tell me about your kids. Tell me about you, Latisha. Letitia. So I was,
3: I am a Fresno native, born and raised in Fresno, California. Um, Central Valley has pretty much been the food capital of the world. I took that that, um, for granted growing up, but now that I'm older, um, I've learned to appreciate all of the fresh fruits and vegetables and the abundance of food that we have here. So I love the Central Valley, I love calling it home, it is a great place to live. Um, Unfortunately, we are plagued with some of the highest asthma rates um, and pollution in the nation. And so I came into the climate justice movement um, just a few years ago working with a local organization trying to bring a community choice aggregate to the city of Fresno um, so that we can help um, clean our air and help to improve our environment, to do our part, to do our fair share. Um, So that's how I got into it. Um, But then just starting to do my research and learning more and more about the communities, I realized that my three children, two of which have asthma, probably wouldn't have to have asthma if we took a better care of our environment. Um, And so it's kind of been uh, my passion here recently um, to help build a better um, environment for my children.
0: So, we got 10 years to act on climate. How do we actively center frontline communities if they're not actively engaged? What are some suggestions that we could do?
3: Um, we actually have to go into these communities, stop sitting in board meetings, stop sitting in organizational partnership meetings, and actually go into these board meetings and become active with these citizens, hear their concerns, educate them and get them actively involved, rather than just making a bunch of policies, not realizing how those policies can and will affect those that are affected. Um, So actually being in those communities, hearing what they have to say, and seeing what resources they need to help pull them out of um, the front line.
0: Okay, thanks so much for that. Good afternoon, Desiree. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm really well. Um, um, So tell me about where are you from, where you live. Tell me about you, Desiree.
4: Well, currently I live in Catawba. It's an area outside of the city of Roanoke. We live within Roanoke County. Um, But I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland. That's where I was born and raised and grew up most of my life. Um, But about two years ago, in 2017, my husband and I felt like we needed a change, and we picked up and we moved to Catawba. Um, So it's a big change. It's very different. I live in a very rural community, but as I said, I'm not too far from the city of Roanoke. Um, But we decided to form a change because we lived in the city for a very long time, and Baltimore suffers from a lot of environmental justice issues um, and we really wanted to raise our kids in a different type of environment. Um, Additionally, uh, I'm a member of the Monacan Indian Nation, so this location brought me much closer to our tribe and I wanted our children to have that sense of community by being able to be involved in our tribal community. Um, So that's what brought us here and we absolutely love it. So we've been living here for two years.
0: And thanks so much. So uh, what are you currently doing now? You are the climate justice organizer in Roanoke and Blacksburg, correct? Uh,
4: correct. So I would say Roanoke and the New River Valley. Blacksburg is part of the New River Valley. And then Roanoke is the separate valley and watershed right next to that. Um, so the two areas are kind of distinguished between which watershed that they are in. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so I've been organizing in both. The two areas are very connected um, through commute between the, the two, and also they're both impacted by uh, the Mountain Valley Pipeline. So a lot of the movement around climate here has been between those two areas because they're both impacted by this pipeline coming through them. So Roanoke and New River Valley, they don't have a strong history, like some other cities do, of um, of advocacy. You know, that's just not really has been a part of the culture here. So it's really new for people. And a lot of my work has to do around education and base building. Um, many people know about the Mountain Valley Pipeline, but they're unaware of how it will impact their water quality. Um, and the city of Roanoke has been a little bit silent. So one of my major tasks currently is to do education um, around climate and around the anti-pipeline movement. So. We're looking to bring people into this pipeline movement as a way to get them motivated about climate, not only to oppose the pipeline, but to start finding solutions.
0: Thanks so much for listening to our Frontline Organizing Program podcast. For our first episode next month, you will hear from Stephanie Bowman. If you want to learn more about the Frontline Organizing Program, please visit www.mothersarefront.org and click on Frontline Organizing Program. Stay tuned and peace.